listening to the RHP Market Talk podcast from Royal Harbor Partners Wealth Management, located in the beautiful Gulf Coast of Houston, Texas, serving families from across the country. Welcome to the RHP Market Talk podcast, episode number 17. I'm Natalie Pika. And I'm Glenn Royal. And along with Michelle Jones, we're the founding partners of Royal Harbor Partners Wealth Management. Today, along with our investment analyst, Jason Strzeski, we're going to be discussing the most recent risk-off sentiment in the markets. In episode 15, we talked about the roller coaster ride that we expected for 2022, and markets have certainly delivered. I recently heard the phrase, don't get off the roller coaster in the middle of the ride, which is probably a pretty good analogy for the investors these days. So, Glenn, lots to talk about. Yes, there is. Why don't we just start with some very recent market jitters and and just kick it right off with the geopolitical climate that we're looking at and how markets may be looking at the Ukraine-Russia situation right now. Well, it's true. It certainly has crossed our radar, as any of these events would, as Mm -hmm. you would expect. Um, I think having that number of troops uh, along the border of uh, a sovereign nation is kind of a little bit nervous, concerned with what's going on. The big impact there, of course, is what will that happen uh, to oil? Russia is a member of OPEC, is OPEC plus member. What will be the consequences of oil? Uh, against that oil backdrop, you know, potential disruptions and what it could spike, we're almost looking at 100 bucks WTI today, mm-hmm. is you do have the Iranians coming back to Geneva and trying to get their uh, nuclear inspection deal taken care of. So Iran can bring on a, a great deal of oil to maybe offset some of these issues in the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of watching these different things as they play out. But uh, as far as broader markets, historically, when we've had battles or conflicts, uh, a lot of it, of course, is dependent upon the time. But uh, most of them have been, have been contained economic damage to that region. Mm. and not spread out globally. So it's kind of an old saw as a trader is we used to buy when the bombs were dropping. It was kind of wild. All the advanced uh, anxiety of war drums is into the market. It's being priced in before the actual event happens. Right. Well, I mean, markets have been in risk-off mode here pretty much since, since the beginning here this year of 2022. Lots of, lots of I guess, risks being priced in. We always talk about markets are forward-looking, right? So they price in ahead of based on what risks you may see. And so that Russia-Ukraine is is just one of the many, right? We're looking at inflation, rising interest rates. We're looking at potential labor shortages and things like that. It's hard to even encapsulate in one conversation everything that's kind of going on in this market. Let's talk a little bit about the inflation story because I think even mid-year last year, we were talking about where we thought things were going to go in, in terms of inflation coming off and what those things would look like. Where are we today in terms of the inflation? Yeah, I think part of the story, when, when the pandemic originally hit, the expectations for inflationary pressures on the supply chain like that were there. Those things did occur. We didn't think that much of it because we expected that. Mm-hmm. What we didn't anticipate was that it started to broaden out. So, for example, food prices uh, globally are up 25%. Uh, excuse me, they're at 25-year highs in, mm-hmm. in the prices of food. Uh, things are starting to broaden out globally, and that's got everyone's attention, including the Fed, that's now focused on fighting inflation in a pretty aggressive manner. 
um, we'll, we'll see. And I, I think you know, there's so many tools they can do to do that. And we can talk about how they might uh, go about this. But you're seeing the market that's setting up in expectations of a Fed hike cycle. The exit, uh, basically exiting quantitative easing that they've been on since 2008, and they're exiting zero interest rate policy programs around the world. We're not alone at this. Others are doing the same, but at different measured paces. Now, China is actually going in the opposite route. They're lowering interest rates to get their economy going after a lot of the issues they've had in the last year, uh, basically reorganizing capitalism in that country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're, you're seeing some changes on, differences. Uh, ECB under Christine Lagarde, she's saying, hey, you know, don't do too much. You're hearing some different Fed officials because if we do too much, you're going to see financial conditions start to tighten. They already are right. in the market, and the Fed hasn't even done anything. All they've done is they taper down the amount of asset purchases they do. Currently, they're buying $20 billion of treasuries and, and securities right now in this market. They're still pumping money in the system. While the bond market investors have front-run the Fed and re-rated all this, almost to the point where you kind of wonder if it's overdone a little bit. Right. So that that's a great question is we anticipate, and based on the Fed minutes and what we're you know looking at, that we could be looking at a 50 basis point hike here yeah. in March. That's what we anticipated. But you're seeing analysts raise their expectations from uh, maybe three hikes, four hikes. Now we're at six. somebody are saying six or seven. Six this year. Right. So, yeah, so the yeah, I know. So let's let's go back to that. Um, in, in my career, I've, I've now had four Federal Reserve governors I've operated under. I came in when Greenspan was appointed. Mm-hmm. So I've watched this whole deal under Greenspan, which we didn't know what the Fed was going to do. They didn't announce it. You just had to watch their actions in the market right. and figure it out afterwards. It was much more reading the tea leaves. So this time around, they are announcing they want clarity. They don't want any market surprises. Yeah. They don't want to tighten the financial conditions so much that it tips us into recession. But let's go back to when this started. Um, uh, Chairman Powell on a Friday in that February of uh, 2020 yeah. says, uh, hey, everything looks okay. We understand the COVID. It was first coming on the scene. And then on Monday, the Fed did an emergency 50 basis point cut to the federal funds rate. So they started out with 50 basis points and they went a series of quarter. If I go back to big economic periods under when Greenspan was chair, the the dot-com blow-ups and Mm -hmm. stuff, it wasn't unusual if they gave a bunch of credit, flooded the system with money, liquidity to Mm -hmm. repair it, that that first hike was 50 bips or even moving interim meetings. Uh, uh, that's not something we've seen, and that's another p- possibility as you see an interim hike. But let's talk about the hike cycle too. We're expected, where rates are expected to go. The Fed is this federal funds rate trains in a range of zero to a quarter percent. So we'll refer to the top end of that range at a quarter of a point is where we are today. Right. So each hike, if it's a quarter of a point, if I get that interim or that fifty bips, that puts us from a quarter of a point Fed funds rate to two percent by the end of this year. That's what the market through all this year has priced right into it. Mm-hmm. We can follow that and track it through uh, interest swaps, interest rate swaps in the futures market. And we're seeing it. So everything's baked into the cake for Fed funds to go. You know, What I don't know is what that end terminal rate will be. Will they be able to get there? That's always a question. They struggle with that. Uh, I'm not sure if they won't happen again. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's bigger picture issues that come back in with the deflationary forces, yep. demographics, 
We had issues with tariffs. We put tariffs onto some things there with the supply chain early on. Uh, but the demographic story and, uh, and the nation's moves uh, about immigration is uh, possibly impacting our labor force participation rate. Yeah. So there's things like that that are in the system that you know has to be worked out. And that's what I'm seeing, Glenn. It's it's going to be real difficult for the Fed to really thread the needle for this soft landing. Uh, it always is uh, when we have these inflationary pressures, some of which are becoming more entrenched into this market, and then. To your point, we have others where, you know, they've been, uh, products have been uh, supported by this uh, extreme demand uh, for goods rather than services, where those levels of demand, supply chain constraints, labor constraints have been elevating those prices and supporting these levels. So we expect to see a lot of these figures that aren't typically inflationary pressures, those to roll off a little bit. Uh, but this could stay around longer than we'd be comfortable for. You know, we were talking uh, transitory for the longest time. Everyone uh, feels a certain way about that word at this point now in the markets, but uh, here we are. Here we are. Uh, you know, and, and Natalie, I think Jason makes some really good points on that. Uh, part of the components of inflation, if I look at just simply uh, used car prices, Right, mm-hmm. you know they're up what forty three percent year over year. That's about five percent of the of the CPI index. That's a pretty big chunk of that index for that kind of high rate that we don't think sustainable. Right, right? you're just not going to see that. So some of these big shelter probably is sticky. That's mm-hmm. a big component of it, and we've seen prices there they don't roll back down that quick. Also, I think uh, with the wage gains that we're seeing, uh, the tight labor market, there's there's issues there that won't go back so quick. They may not be. We are seeing signs that wages aren't increasing anymore, which is a big inflationary pressure. But but they are you know firm. Mm-hmm. So those things coming together gives us while these rates may be sticky. Uh, they are looking like uh, they'll start to roll over in the second half of this year. That's where this transitory nature, originally it came in the word because we thought it was the short-term issues, supply chain logistics and all that. Thought that was gonna get corrected, but then we didn't know about Delta Wave. Then boom, that came along. Then right as soon as we were kind of recovering from that, we got slapped with Omicron. So now we're back at this point today, we're we're back kind of past the Delta wave and that little nice spot people are going and you know, hopefully we'll see if this pandemic becomes endemic at this point. Now knock on wood it does, right? Mm-hmm. So when we talk about the the markets maybe front running the Fed. Yeah. Right. It's interesting that second uh, second, third quarter of last year we had clients, you know, refinancing their homes, mortgage rate less than two percent. Actually have people now coming in are already up at four, four and a half. Right. Almost five. Fed hadn't even raised rates once. The invisible hand, it works. It so is. It's the market doing it, it for you. The, the, the market's doing uh, it for the you. The Fed, one of the greatest tools the Fed has is just jawboning, right? <laughs> the jawbone yeah. of an ass, remember that? And that's what they do all the time. They just got to get out and imply, mm-hmm. and the market will react to it. Right. So what gives you confidence that with where we've been here the first couple of months of the year, that this isn't going to get worse. Well, we're start, seeing anecdotally, you're starting to see little things start to come over. The CEO of Maersk, one of the largest shipping companies in the world, they're starting to see pressures come out. It's at the margin. 
Mm -hmm. still sticky to Jason's point, that you're just starting to see little signs of it roller, no longer necessarily going higher. At different little indicators we see. Logistics in, uh, improving a bit. Uh, right now, the, the Chinese Lunar New Year, you know, that's passed. All that, all that shipment of goods, the back manufacturing, offshore Long Beach is slammed again with goods. Yeah. You know, it's continuing. Some companies like Apple and Walmart have figured out how to deal with the supply chain that's less than optimum. And so if you've had two years to figure it out, so we're finding those companies that are doing well and, and those that aren't. So uh, another indicator that often clients look to if they look at the U.S. GDP, either our growth expectations, they look at the, the strength of the U.S. dollar and things like that. Let's talk a little bit about how all of this plays into that. Yeah. Our, our, our so-called deficit, the GDP, the U.S. dollar strengthening, weakening. How does that look right yeah. now in the current situation? There's that, boy, that's a lot to unpack. <laughs> uh, Sorry. So many different just ways put it all in there uh, together. <laughs> yeah. I, I, look, as far as GDP growth, we are still expecting growth just shy of 4%, like 3839 in there, which is twice yep. our historical average. I do have higher inflation. Um, we do expect those things to come down, components of it in the second half year, to be less of a, of a stiff wind in our face, right? More uh, easier to deal with. Mm -hmm. uh, and then my corporate profit growth is still strong as can yep. be. I mean, corporations are coming in. Uh, you had about 80% before the first quarter. Still had an excellent earnings season. What are you to your seeing point? on the top line there, Jason? Uh, top of the line, you know, earnings, net profit margins, much better than expected, 12% over 11.5 estimates. Still a dip from third quarter of 21, but growth. We still have growth. We still have companies that are protecting those margins, keeping free cash flow available. And that's what we're really looking for uh, in these earning periods. We're looking for companies that, like you said, Apple, making their own supply chains, navigating that themselves with the size to their aid, being able to do that, and a big plus for them. Uh, companies available to preserve their pricing power, and then also to uh, to be able to navigate the labor shortage and labor issues. Uh, and by doing that, you know, we're looking for high quality companies, stable balance sheets, just really going back to fundamentals. Uh, and looking back into January, we had a real, uh, it was healthy, in my opinion, a valuation adjustment to a lot of the growthy names out there, um, bringing a lot of these high flyers down to reality. And uh, as a result of the liquidity that Glenn was talking about being sucked out of the system a little bit. So we're starting to see the effects. Everything's starting to get baked into the cake. And Glenn and I, we're, we're still very bullish going into latter half of the year. Uh, it'll be a little bit discomfort uh, going into this hiking cycle. We're not sure how that's going to look like and how it's going to unfold and then Russia-Ukraine, but like to Glenn's point, it's going to be shorter, shorter term. You know, we'll see. Uh, you know, every, every mark is different. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I really feel like some of the things that we're doing in the portfolio um, were, you know, technology was the end all for everybody for so long. That was in an environment where we had quantitative easing and really subpar growth as a result, I think, of that, you know, the Fed controlling the, the economy. Now that the Fed's stepping away, you start getting things going again. Uh, I'm pretty 
you know, I, I love that. I mean, if I can start getting Fed funds back to 2%, I can start getting paid in money markets. I can start getting right. a normalized functioning economy. Uh, and and uh, to me, I kind of had these triple threes in my mind. We were talking about this. If I can get inflation trending down to it's got a three handle, three point what? Mm-hmm. If I can get unemployment to the three handle, which is right there, right, three now. Uh, and if I can get GDP growth at 3%, I'm pretty happy about that. And if we step back in the context of, yes, we're used, we're used to, you know, a two and five eighths mortgage or auto mm-hmm. loan or whatever. Okay, maybe this things need to double. Maybe we need to go below five on some of these things, maybe six on an auto loan. Mm-hmm. But that's not going to stop this economy. I think it still continues. We're not in any hyperinflation. We're not anything like in the 70s. We're in a period where a little bit of inflation can drive real wage earnings. It can drive productivity. Uh, and, and that's another thing we always talk about. The, the biggest concept, I, I hear this a lot where clients are looking, uh, hearing advisors or reading online about past financial conditions uh, and trying to extrapolate that to today, particularly the deficits, right? Right. Uh, the debt load service is is incredibly low. It's uh, when you add the interest expense and the debt that the both everyone refied. We were talking about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you had a mortgage, you refied. If you were a corporation, a CFO, you refied your corporate debt. Everyone right. has gone through a huge refi cycle as a benefit of this. So we're starting municipalities refining. Yep. We are starting with the very low debt service obligation coverage ratios mm-hmm. with healthy balance sheets. It's a whole different environment. And I think the biggest thing, it's, it's really hard for me to quantify, but we haven't had the internet but for what twenty years in business or less. Right. And the first was trying to figure out how to use you know, it. Use an email, right? It. <laughs> right. I mean and then we went to web two point which was the move away from your desktop to cloud. Mm-hmm. You know, now the web's advancing even further, maybe these metaverse and things that we're hearing. But uh I think those are hugely deflationary forces that we have to contend with. That are productivity that's a result of that. Think about this work from home. If I had been stuck in my house the last two years without the internet, right? Uh, business, we'd really be in bad shape. Yeah, we didn't skip a beat. Right. So the Fed. So you had a temporary hit. The Fed put in the money. Now the Fed's taking it back, and we're right back to where we were, kind of pre nineteen levels. Mm-hmm. For the most part, and we do want to talk one thing about inflation. Maybe I can make this easy to understand. We heard this from a Goldman portfolio manager, and this is kind of also what's happened. This hundred dollar bill analogy. This is a simple way to explain. If I had a hundred dollars, and before the pandemic hit, I'd spend half of that on goods, lumber, autos, clothing, TVs. Then I spent the other fifty bucks on services, restaurants, Disney World, cruise ships, and all that. When the pandemic hit. All of a sudden, I spent my whole $100 spending on goods. Right. And our demand for goods was 14% higher than before the pandemic. Now, we're starting to see things change, but that had impacts on supply chains that were already decimated because we have this just-in-time inventory system these yep. days. Yep. Another evolution in the business uh, community that I think uh, you had at Sminsky moment. You saw where the failings were. Yeah. The pandemic just destroyed just-in-time accounting. So that's being fixed, right? We'll get back to that. It's just going to take a little time. 
I see no reason to not have optimism about the economy uh, really for some time now. We don't see a recession on the horizon, uh, and that would be another thing. I, I, we do want to talk about credit. We were talking a little bit earlier about how do we monitor for risk in the market. What right. is our key thing? And Jason and I are big, big advocates of the bond market. We, we're looking for risk that's evidenced by but basically uh, riskier bonds selling off, right? Comparable to treasuries. So there's a concept that we look at that's called spread. And all it is is I take the difference between the yield on an investment grade corporate bond and compare that to a like maturity U.S. treasury. Why do a treasury? Well, that's kind of the risk-free gold standard, right? That's risk-free. I take more risk in corporate corporate investing bonds. Um, That spread you know, in my lifetime, it was 138 basis points. You know, my trading career in the past, 140 stayed in that range. During this period, when rates came so low and the demand for yield got so tight, that spread got down to about eight tenths of a percent or so. Really, really tight. Well, now it's back to 115, 112, 101.15% above treasuries, comparable treasuries. That's not stress. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely still very, very positive. If I take that same analogy and I look at high yield bonds, they're paying me about three and a half percent above treasuries. That particular sector during the 08 crisis was paying me 26 yeah. percent exactly. above treasuries. Exactly. Wow. It was looking historically, those spreads were much wider. Much wider. And so we, we are seeing effect that the spreads are fine. We're looking also at something called the shape of the yield curve, mm-hmm. uh, which is basically if I buy a two-year treasury, it's going to yield me less than a 10-year treasury because of the time value. It's going to yield me less than a 30-year, right? So the further out, the higher yields are. Well, sometimes those curves can do things you don't anticipate, which one of them is called a flattening of the curve. And it's when the Fed is in this rate hiking cycle and they're pushing up. They only control short maturities, two years and in. They keep pushing on that. The longer end maturities kind of stay where they are because they sense the Fed's raising rates to cool things off. That means we might hit in a recession. I'm not going to sell my duration, so I hang on my longer bonds. So they're hanging on to that, and we're getting this flattening of the curve. Uh, I got to say, the negative about a flat, uh, an inverted yield curve when short rates are higher than long rates is it's got about 100% accuracy to call a recession. Yeah, it is very, very accurate. Uh, we are watching that. We've seen these credit this difference between the the yield curve at uh, the slope's been about eight tenths of a point. Higher mm-hmm. rates been lower. That's come down to just over four tenths of a percent. It's collapsing down. We still have a ways to go. We may not go there, you know, if I can get the bond market to change and what mm-hmm. have you. But, mm-hmm. but that's that's our telltale. If I see the, the yield curve, curve flat, if I see those spreads, that extra, the, the risk in the credit, in the bond market, in the credit market, uh, you'll see us raise cash. You'll see us uh, increase our, our bond exposure over on the fixed income side. One of the things we're looking for is when interest rates are above inflation, that real return mm-hmm. is positive. Uh, it's not there, it's negative about a half percent. If that goes positive, you know, back up pickup truck, we are loading up the bed with bonds. Yeah. Because it'll be a good yeah. time. And that de-risks the portfolio, uh, particularly for you know many of our clients are in balanced portfolios. Right. So I guess that's a that's a great a great way to kind of tie it all together is that what we're doing here, I mean and the work that you and Jason are doing all the time, it's it's really looking at 
the macro, the micro, all of those things and bringing it in and actually executing it on the portfolios. Yeah, so I, you know, and the way Jason and I are working as uh, uh, a team on this is I'm handling macro, the big picture, the economy, the focus, the portfolio strategy, where we're going with that value and mm-hmm. the value and the growth. And Jason's coming in from a bottom up side and helping me with stock secu- or security selection for different areas. Right. So it's a it's a pretty good team how we're doing. He's he's so focused within the sectors and what's going on at that micro level and I'm looking more at what's happening in Ukraine, what's happening in China, what's happening in Washington DC. Yeah. yeah. And how we invest in that. Well, thank you both for all that you do. I, I tend to have a lot more of the one-on-one conversations with the client. So I get to hear how confident they are in knowing that they've got somebody that's watching it on a day-in and day-out basis. We want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to RHP Market Talk. That's a great way to kind of wrap up this conversation with how Jason and Glenn are really putting all that we've talked about to work in the portfolios for our clients. So if you you have any questions, please contact us through our website at royalharborpartners.com. At RHP, we're passionate about planning for your financial future. We're devoted to our relationships with multi-generational families for the creation of successful legacies. Through our one-on-one conversations, we can help you navigate your personal wealth management and investment journey. How different will your life look with the right advice? Royal Harbor Partners is a registered investment advisor, and the opinions expressed by Royal Harbor Partners on this show are their own. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and an unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.